Hi, I'm Matt. I'm Annie. And I'm Melissa. And together we want to welcome you to Still Great Bob. If this is your first time joining us, together we're watching AMC's Mad Men and trying to answer the question, is it Still Great Bob? This week we're discussing Season 4, Episode 4, The Rejected. Written by Keith Huff and Matthew Weiner and directed by John Slattery, Roger Sterling himself. This episode originally aired on August 15th, 2010. Hit movies this week. Number one, The Expendables. Number two, Eat, Pray, Love. And number three is last week's number one, The Other Guys. Also new this week was Scott Pilgrim vs. The World, which opened at number five. The hit song this week is still... Love the way you lie. Still, Eminem featuring Rihanna. Still, still. <laughs> we we took a break, and it's still the number one song. Wow, it, it really persists. In this episode, Peggy and Pete reflect on their diverging life paths, and Don almost sends a drunken email. Almost, 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 almost. Uh, Don. Don. Do we start with Don? Not only does he almost send a drunken email, he almost experiences a consequence for his actions. Um, it almost because the entire office knows now that something happened between Don and Allison um, because she throws that thing. Uh, yeah. But Joan is Peggy. A- Peggy definitely knows. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and Joel like so Joan good. knows because she knows everything. But she's also liter- literally and figuratively cleaning up his messes both actually cleaning the debris from the that thing that allison threw yeah. but also finding him um a replacement secretary yes i and i love that she is at least in a place like psychically and in the office where she's like we can't have you pulling this shit even though she <laughs> says it just with her eyes like come on also I love the slight pettiness in going, you need, you need a secretary, Mrs. Blankenship. Joan's situational awareness, like throughout the like three seasons and, and four episodes that we've seen. um, It's just really striking in the way in which that like, she knows people and can read people. And then like, we've talked about before, about sometimes how she's kind of like trapped by how society around her, like, perceives her and that seems to like prevent her from you know achieving some of the other things as someone who presents as more feminine than say someone like Peggy early on and you know being promoted to copywriter and things like that but yeah I just like Joan like being competent and like yeah I don't love that she's once again cleaning up after a man's mess um low-key problematic but like i also like joan being competent and i just i want more joan i want better things for joan i want everything i want greg to be gone gone (laughs) i want better things for joan yeah uh he doesn't deserve her generally no one does (laughs) like can you imagine how far any of these men could have gotten without her no they couldn't have gotten anywhere. She found Don's apartment. <laughs> remember? Because at the, at the end of season three, when like Betty and Don like get separated, they're in the like they've done the agency heist and they're sitting in the hotel room. He's basically like, can you get me an apartment? And she's like furnished because she knows what's like, because 
She's yeah, because she's Joe. She knows. She's Joe. She knows. And it's not necessarily out of the goodness out of her heart. It's just that she knows that this is what she needs to be successful and for them to be successful. Because if they are successful, then she has a place. Though she really could be running everything. Is that what happens in Mad Men? <laughs> yeah. Just a slow burn of Joan taking over an advertising agency? <laughs> <laughs> Wouldn't that be fabulous if that's what happens? I would really love it. Um, before we move on from Don, my other thing I wanted to talk about is that when he is having the argument with Faye... Um, you know, I think that's like mostly at the end of the episode, but he's saying like past behavior doesn't indicate, you know, future behavior. And it's like, OK, yes, it like I get what he's saying, but also, yes, it very much does, especially when you're talking about like personally. And he might as well just scream at her like people can change. I can change me personally. Don Draper, I'm changing. I'm not sending any drunken letters. Um, and I just have this question, which is, can you, though? Yeah. <sighs> so one of my favorite song lyrics by, like, one of my favorite bands, which is Stars, um, I think it's from one of the, their 2017 album. Um, but the line is, I don't believe people ever change. I don't believe people can ever change, but I've changed. And, like, it's such this, like... I think it's a really evocative line, but like as far as like Don in this specific instance and, you know, again, once again, projecting his, the personal on the public um, in terms of his, his work life and things like that. It's like, can you change? Yes, but you have to do the work. But like, does Don even want to change? Is this just like a manifestation of his like self-loathing, which then gets me into like the drunken letter, um, or or email as we, we colloquially called it um earlier that he writes to Allison when he's supposed to be writing her recommendation letter because you know she's like you at least owe me that mm-hmm. and then oh, what is what's the letter started it's like I'm sorry my life right now is very dot 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 and that's when he stops writing and like throws it out so my question to the the both of you does that do you think that that represents a sort of clarity about the destructiveness that Don's been living in. Or is it just a manifestation of like Don's own self-loathing? It isn't quite on the level of being self-aware of rock bottom, et cetera, et cetera. I'm like of two minds of this thing that he was trying to write because what? Well, no, mostly I'm just mad at Don because look, (laughs) he could have just instead of writing the letter, he could have just written a letter of recommendation instead of putting everything on her and actually like put some effort into making amends with this thing that he royally screwed up. Instead, he started to make amends by making it about himself and how fucked up he is right now. Mm-hmm. We get it. We're all fucked up right now. Everyone's going through a thing, but everyone in that office, literally everyone in that office has something going on right now. And, but, and you just want to make it about your man pain. If literally if he like he messed up being like hey you write down whatever you want and it'll be fine but i think he could have like gone he could have fixed so much if he had just sat down and written the damn recommendation yeah and it's like it's pretty astounding that he has no idea why him telling her to write her own recommendation and he'll sign it is like 
the shittiest thing he could have done in that moment. Like, he just has no comprehension of what would be a normal human empathy response to any of this. Like, maybe don't give her money the morning or a couple mornings after you sleep with her in any capacity. Or at least be, like, very clear (laughs) about... (laughs) Like, what's happening? And it's, At no point does he make her feel like a respected human. Yeah, like, it's it's just, it's it's astounding. Like, Don, honestly, how do you have a successful career? It's just, and I just, I cannot, I love that she throws that thing. I'm so happy for her. I would watch her throw that thing 102 times because <laughs> it's just, he's like, oh, just, you, you do the work and I'll just take credit for it. And it's like, that doesn't make me me feel like any of this was worth any of it (laughs) at all (laughs) i mean you have to give him credit for somehow taking a not great situation and somehow making it just a little bit worse it's it's kind of a skill and then being shocked emotional intelligence uh i would not rank don very high on (laughs) oh really really and truly no (laughs) no not even a little bit not even a little bit. But, like, okay, so, like, the title of the episode is The Rejected, yes. right? So, like, and I think we have a couple different characters or characters who could potentially be the the titular rejection, right? And, like, from a certain point of view, and we'll get more into kind of Allison as, as we go, but, like, I think you could definitely make a case that there's elements of that in there in their plot but like i think in some ways pete is fighting a bit of like rejection himself in this episode and like the ways in which he is perceived by both the other partners at sterling cooper sterling cooper draper price excuse me and then also by his you know particularly lane and roger i'm thinking but then also how he's perceived or rejected by his father-in-law then again for his father representing Clarissell, the whole po- inciting incident of pete's um drama in this episode or pete's storyline is the partners asking him to reject and decline Clarissell because pawns is in in conflict right so maybe then we can talk about pete a little bit here which starts with him you know we have the return of ken I was going to say Ken Campbell. That's my grandfather. <laughs> Ken Cosgrove. Um, and and Harry and then all this stuff with Clarissa. So, Melissa, where are you at with Pete this week? Oh, hold on. Before we start with that, how do you... Okay. How do you yeah. Melissa, how are you feeling about Ken Cosgrove? Oh, my gosh. He's getting married. Our Kenny, he's back. Um, I had this in bits and bobs, but I'll do it here since we're talking about Ken. I'm so excited he's back. I'm so excited that kind of that Pete feels like a little, not uncomfortable, but just like a little insecure about him. And then I like that that kind of gets flipped on its head when they have this conversation at lunch because like it's not, you know, grass isn't always greener and all that. But I love that Ken takes the opportunity to be like, hey, Pete, don't talk shit about me. Um, but also he uses the R word, which just takes all the joy out of seeing him because I'm like, now I don't want to rewatch this. This is not a fun reunion because that shit pisses me off. So not, not great, Bob. 
Yeah. It's such like a such a gratifying scene in that one moment. Just like, oh, right. Uh, yeah. Cool. He's like, before, cool, cool. yeah, before Harry comes back, he's like, I need to just ask you, like, why are you running your mouth? And I was not expecting that at all. And then to put these two men on like a level playing ground where they can like talk about their careers and like, you know, because Ken's a comer. <laughs> <laughs> he's like weirdly an adult, actually. It's kind of odd. And I... F- do you think that that's something that Pete like gets insecure about? Because he's always, as we have pointed out multiple times before, that Pete is always like trying to seek validation and approval from the daddies around him. And <laughs> Ken's kind of a daddy now because he's he's grown into his own. He's slightly less shitty. He just makes choices that make him happy and they're mostly responsible. Yeah, like... The thing about Pete is that he's growing on me. <laughs> Fucker does that, doesn't he? Like, I, I you know, so does I'm not 100% sold, but I do feel like he makes some good moves in this episode, but he starts in such a, like, he starts in a lower place in terms of how he feels about these other men that he's coming up in the industry with. And it just really struck me in this episode that, like, Pete, other people's success is not your failure. Like, this is capitalism, my guy. There is enough space for you all to be conniving businessmen. Like, it's fine. You can just do it together. (laughs) Um, because he calls Harry out for, um, quote unquote, always looking for a job. But isn't that like, does isn't that what he kind of does at the end of this episode? Like turns this conflict into another job opportunity for Pete? Uh, yeah. Yeah. Which is also in its own way kind of admirable. Although the way he approaches it is, is so weird because he makes... When he talks to his father-in-law, he does make it seem like he's one-upping his father-in-law. Yeah. It's so weird. Because presumably, they're on good terms. Um, And he seems like a very nice man. But it's so weird the way... He feels so bad about spilling the beans. Yeah. He says, don't tell Trudy. And then he calls Trudy crying from a phone booth. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's really, that's really sweet. And then, like, I feel conflicted being like, I, like, Pete's growing on me. And then to be like, oh, Pete did this, like, conniving business thing to his father-in-law. But for one, it's like, the way that, like, business works in shows like this, I feel kind of like, you know, stupid game, stupid prizes. Like, who cares? (laughs) Um, But I just was proud of Pete for, like, doing something for himself and not just like being moody about the fact that he didn't think to ask for an office before Peggy did like but yeah like I'm I'm just like noodling this a bit and it's like part of me is like is this like an Oedipus thing with his father-in-law because like his dad is already dead but like Don's also like you know a, a surrogate father figure to him but it's like Pete sits around and like waits for things to happen to him because he has a sense of entitlement and kind of, you know, 
deserves it. Like you said, and this is what made you, what made me think of as Melissa was you mentioning um, the office thing at, at the mm, old agency mm-hmm. when when Peggy just asked for Freddie's office and got it. Um, and so it's like, and I like, and this is like a new thought. You think after like you know I would have had enough time to noodle noodle this episode that I I wouldn't come on air with new takes, <laughs> but like. The way in which we feel is if Peter's having a success for doing this and, you know, stepping in and kind of claiming out his space and, like, out-businessing um, his his father-in-law and kind of doing this really cute tag-team thing with Trudy to get um, Trudy's dad and Pete, like, alone together to, like, have the business talk, which was kind of cute. I like I like Trudy and Peter working as oh a team. Oh, my gosh, me too. But it's, but, like, it's also, like, it's, it's, really kind of like endorsing this kind of like capital real like again it's madman it's capitalism but like this real kind of capitalist mentality where it's like you can't just wait for things to happen to you you need to like mm-hmm. go out there and be entrepreneurial and like claim them and blah 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 right like this kind of it's not the similar expression of like pete's masculinity and kind of like entitlement but like it's also like this really like individual risk-taking sort of um almost like oh what's his name conrad hilton sort of vibe energy i don't know just Mm -hmm. thoughts i'm noodling yeah yeah because i think in all of that we see someone who could actually be kind of great based on his own merit but his insecurity his weird sense of what achievement actually is how you, this idea of masculinity and how a real man should achieve things, which is by tearing other people down and not allowing other people to yeah. be successful as well. It's very... <sighs> okay, I'm about to be somewhat positive about Pete for a second. It's Everyone happening. yourself. It No, here... Well, because oh. like... Elise, buckle up. <laughs> I know. She's going to be so excited. And I am truly happy for Elise. And I don't know if this is necessarily like a, a nice thing to say about Pete, but I am going to defend him as a character somewhat, even against my own criticisms. Um, <laughs> compared to Don, Don was like very much a character of that time that the show came out. This very like misanthropic character, this like mess up idea of what a real man is uh, w- through the guise of like, oh, we're exploring this toxic masculinity and, and what it means, but actually in a lot of ways also perpetuating it. And in so many ways, there is no real, there is, but it's not as, how do I want to put this? The growth and path that like Don goes through, it's so cyclical and it's not always that wide of a gap between like one end of that the pendulum swings to the other. This is all mixed metaphors. I apologize for nothing. But you see Pete. Pete is like hills and valleys, but generally has an overall kind of direction of slightly upwards. And it isn't always perfect and it isn't always great. And a lot of times, you know, he's just like, there's no there's no turning back from that, Pete. But in a lot of ways, as a character, objectively speaking, he is a more interesting character than your Don character. Which we saw a lot of at that time period in the two early, was it mid-2000s? You know, mm-hmm. like I... we. I've started rewatching Justified, basically one of my favorite shows of all time. You've got the main character, Raylan Givens. He's kind of the same thing, watching it with some people who are watching it for the first time. And they're noticing that, like, he tends to be, like, kind of an even line that kind of goes up and down a little bit. But mm. you've, then you've got Boyd Crowder, played by the wonderful Walt Goggins, who 
who starts off saying some very racist things and is definitely meant to die in the first episode. But the the sort of arc and journey he goes through all this, the whole show, not just over a season or two, is so, so like wildly different, but still in character. So I I guess I'm saying Pete is Boyd Hill is Boyd Crowder. What? Wait, how did I get here? <laughs> no. <laughs> um. Yeah. So this is a this is a revelation I've just had just now that I enjoy Pete as a character, but not as a person ever, forever and ever. Yeah, that was weird. Not as a person, but I. I sometimes have um, a hard time separating like, oh, I don't like them as a ki- like, I don't like them as a person, but they're a good character. Like normally if I am starting to feel affection for a character, I'm like, oh, I'd like you now. I'm problematic. No. Um, <laughs> like so, you can Cosgrove's. Yeah. And like, <laughs> we're going to see what happens with Pete, but like he apologizes to Ken. Like he gets called out and is just like, you know what? I'm sorry. Um, I'm having a baby now. I have an upper hand on you, so it's okay. I can give you this apology, which is, again, me being like, I kind of like Pete now, and then here's the shitty thing he did. (laughs) (laughs) But it's like, the apology is good. (laughs) I I just think that his motivations are still need a little rehab, I think, but... (laughs) There's still some things he needs to unpack and address, for sure. But... Yeah, and, like, um, everybody was scared to tell Pete about the baby. Like, not about the baby. Everyone was scared how he was going to react to, like, this mishap about the, like, baby announcement. And it's like, why is everybody afraid of you? Yeah, that's that's kind of interesting. That always, like, kind of tells you something, what, what people are, like, afraid to say something. Especially, like, a, about what... But in particular, everyone just doesn't want to tell you a true thing. And that tells you something about how they are with others. Yeah. They, they were, like, so worried how he'd react because they, like, this finding out about Trudy's pregnancy, um, like, didn't go perfect. Like, if it didn't go perfectly in Pete's mind, there's a chance he would have, like, turned on them. Like, Yeah. Yeah, and um, speaking of... Sorry, I was just really, like, pausing with that thought. <laughs> No, you're good. But, like, speaking of... Unless you have other thoughts, um, we know somebody in this episode who does have thoughts about Pete's baby. And that is Peggy. <laughs> I, I, I love that Peggy clearly doesn't want to, but she does. Yeah, I love um, that this episode features a scene of Pete banging his head against the wall and Peggy banging her head against her desk. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, Symmetry is nice. Yeah. yeah, and you know she finds out she finds out that Trudy's pregnant, and I just appreciate that she like immediately goes to tell him congratulations. You know, mm-hmm. uh, they were I don't know if they've necessarily ever been friends, but they have had. They have they have a relationship, you know. Um, yeah. And so I thought that was just really nice on her behalf. Yeah, it's like another adult in Pete's life, being an adult. And I don't know if like maybe part of her wants to be like, "Hey, you're having baby down. Remember when 
when I had your baby, um, which maybe I'm just projecting a level of pettiness onto her that I would have. But overall, it does seem like she's genuinely just trying to be a good person, face it head on, acknowledge it, get it out of the way now. Um, yeah, which uh, which I like. I like that for Peggy, at least. Good for her. Um, what do you guys feel about that look between them at the end, too? Um, I loved that shot so much. Like, okay, John Slattery. Um, there's like the congregation of like the old white men and then Joyce and Peggy's <laughs> cool young friends coming up to the office to get for her from lunch. And Pete, uh, you know, Peggy walks through the threshold to her side and Pete, you know, stays back with the old white men and they're like looking at each other and they're going in different directions. Oh, it's so good. It's very good. good. Do you think that would have, that understanding between them would have happened if, um, if Peggy hadn't made that first move? No, like it's definitely, like, I think that this look definitely comes from, um, like, I don't think that Pete would have, well, we know, even though Pete was telling everybody about the baby, he hadn't told Peggy about it. Everybody but right? Peggy, Right? Yeah. And I don't think, I don't think this would have happened without Peggy being so forthcoming and being like, hey, guess what? Uh, you should know that I know. And that we're going to be cool with it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, and I do like it, this like quiet resolution to that story because there's not really a good resolution otherwise between it. They're not going to get back together. They're not going to magically raise, you know, their baby together too. Mm-hmm. And any tension between them feels like it probably would get in the way of storytelling and would also just feel weird. Um, so I, I like it also in that sense that it brings us to a close this this story that's been kind of like low-key hanging over everyone's yeah. heads until now yeah yeah i this does feel i think like closure for peggy on this not only because she has met some like very fabulously cool new friends um but also like pete having a baby with his wife is like Novel. feels like the start of a very specific and separate chapter. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Not in the least because, like, Joyce is also now in Peggy's life. Um, yeah, and Joyce and Peggy had... Everybody trying to kiss Peggy. Yeah. <laughs> Everybody. 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 I mean, who can blame them? I mean, she looks swell again. Yeah, well, again, <laughs> it was so silly, and I loved it so much just it because so it was Joyce. Yes, and Joyce and Peggy definitely have a full meet cute in the elevator. Yeah, and I don't think I just talking about pictures of naked women. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I tracked that it was like, um, like a meet cute TM. <laughs> The first time I watched the episode, but then after watching how Joyce was with her for the rest of the episode, when you see them meet each other on the elevator, I'm like, oh, yeah. Oh, um, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I love the, by just to go back to Soul again real quick, I just love the delivery because there's something about it that's both like kind of like 
teasing and ironic, but also just genuine, like, no, you actually look like really swell and I mean it. Yeah. Man, Joyce is cool. I like her a lot. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we have her. Um, When Peggy meets somebody at this party and he's like, oh, are you with Joyce? And Joyce is like, are you? <laughs> <laughs> She's like just undeterred and it's not like her persistence is not creepy. It's just like, I want you to know that like the option is there. Yes. <laughs> Noticing you, noticing me from across the room, you can see you can't stop yourself from looking. Yes, um, exactly. Yeah. Like, just yeah. so you know, so the cards are on the table and we're not going to play this like, ooh, coy thing where maybe, maybe not, only if you say yes, but if not, I'm just joking kind of thing. No, it's just like, just like you said, the option is there. And it's not even like Joyce is singularly focused on her because she's clearly got a thing for, for Megan, too. Mm-hmm. Everybody has a thing for Megan. Everyone has a thing for Megan. Everyone just has to see her. And it's so weird the way, like, everyone wants to look at her like she's a circus animal. But at the mm-hmm. same time, I was like, is it because they all just want to see her face? Yeah. And I also, I like that they gave Megan the the opportunity to have that line about how she wanted to bring a book to read at the desk, but they wouldn't let her. Mm-hmm. And so it's like... Megan just wants you to know that it's not her choice to be out here reading magazines. <laughs> I I also like when Megan was um had been very nice. Honestly, like it's the way a lot of the female characters will rebuff the the male characters who are trying to hit on them. Just like very nice and polite and respectful, but at the same time, you know, putting up the boundaries. And after Joyce leaves, Megan calls her pretentious. <laughs> It's like, good for you, Megan. Good for you. And Peggy's like, I know that's what I like. (laughs) Yes. That smile on her face. Like, yeah. All right, Peggy. It's like, Peggy's like really like trying things on. Yeah. Like, I think like in terms of like who, like who she is now, who she wants to be like, um, yeah. And I think that's partially too why like that final scene that we just talked about with her and Pete is so evocative because it's like these two's past converged. They shared like arguably for various reasons, some pretty like life changing, you know, experience and, and fact and kind of, you know, are, are moving on with their lives in various ways. And it's like, are they getting everything they wanted? What do they want? Is like, is this what Peggy wants? What she's like trying on? We've seen like, the way that she's costumed over the last like four seasons like totally change and as her job changes and you know she lives in the city now she's less the girl from brooklyn and is more you know less autonomy i guess trying on and, and you know exercising more of her autonomy like yeah it's just it's really interesting and i'm excited for peggy and i want to talk a little bit more about the party and the second meet cute that peggy has this episode peggy is having a day <laughs> or a week whatever it is yeah and um she seems to be aware of the fact that she's not into women but is drawn towards joyce mm-hmm. and her pretentiousness so hey look a cute lanky 
young Jason Siegel meets James Freeman and, <laughs> and where the heart is vibe kind of guy who was also a little pretentious, but also kind of like also still a nice, genuine person wanders in to a closet with Peggy while the police come. Uh, Seven minutes in heaven. Yeah, why not? Why not? Why not? She's got a boyfriend, but... Um, he doesn't own her. Yeah. Now. So, and and he may be <laughs> renting it, but that doesn't mean she can't subly, sublet. <laughs> That's oh my God. We haven't even mentioned that. Like Peggy smokes pot again. Oh my God. Yeah. You guys, every single time a character pops into Mad Men and then has weed on them, they're my favorite character. You're three for three. Three for three. Um, yeah. I love that. She's like, I can get you a beer, but also... I have this like better thing <laughs> you can have. I'm already high, but if you like it, Peggy's like, oh, I do. I'm going to go home and get so much work done. <laughs> so much creative. <laughs> I'm a creative for mm-hmm. capitalism, but still. I know because Peggy actually brings capitalism to this art party she goes to. Oh, sorry. <laughs> Yeah, but then we learn all about uh, what's Jason Siegel. Yeah, I'm sure he has a name, um, Abe, and the the person he is because he will still be like, "Oh, you're a writer, a copywriter, but like, what kind of writing do you do that isn't that capitalist bullshit?" Um, but then he defends her against the uber pretentious artsy guy who's like, "Why would what do you say?" Wow. Like, um, are in advertising. Why would anybody do that after Warhol? And, like, I'm going to tell on yeah. myself and say that I have no fucking clue what that means. <laughs> <laughs> that was it. And Abe's line was, like, you know, you have to have a soul to be able to sell it. Sell it? Yeah, that was such a good line. That's a good line. It's like, oh, okay, so you're not that bad. Cool, 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 cool. Thanks. I also I really like loved that when she was like, oh, we're looking for photographers. Like, she was about to say, like, you could come take photos for money um the bad thing you know i love that abe was like oh i am so happy i'm here for this like he's like these are <laughs> my friends but i do understand that they're ridiculous <laughs> good we like self-awareness yes we like the yes. self-awareness <laughs> because peggy has a slight history of people with less so i think um i think i'm not worried about uh about peggy right now her mother probably is. Huh. Well, her mother is going to church every Sunday to make sure just that God keeps an eye out on her because she's not making the right choices. Yeah. And I mean, I think there's only one thing left that we need to talk about with Peggy, which is like mm-hmm. a bummer because this is not a good look for Peggy when she handles this Allison thing extremely badly. Yes. Yes, it's um, it's not great. I didn't like it. I mean, I get it, but I don't like it. Uh, yeah. Like, she could have just been empathetic and been like, oh, I'm sorry there's a misunderstanding. Like, that's never happened to me, and this is awful for you. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they didn't have to be um, – they didn't have to have twin experiences for Peggy to have some empathy for her. Um, mm-hmm. And, like, I know that it 
I mean, it just, it just, it's a shitty situation for both Peggy and for Allison, mostly for Allison. But it's like, yeah, Peggy doesn't want people assuming this about her. And I know that she's obviously got a thing about it. Like, <laughs> that is very clear now. But I just, yeah. I always hope for a little bit more empathy for the things that other women are going through from Peggy. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, I just quickly, I'll just say that it seemed like something that we haven't seen from Peggy in a really long time where someone makes an implication that she didn't earn her place. And I mm-hmm. get that she's, I, how old is she supposed to be right now? Like 25? Yeah, she's still like young and young still has. And still a woman. And still wildly more successful than anyone should have, like, generally would have allowed her to if it weren't for Dawn being in a weird mood at the time. And she does deserve her place. Uh, and I and I get, I get that even, like, some small implication that she didn't earn her spot is scary and hard because it's so easy to tear a woman down once um, she is in a place of authority or power. But, man... That was real rough. It's a bad look. It's not a good look at all. It really reminded me too that like that power dynamic and that shift between this kind of almost big sister motherly sort of like compassion empathy energy so quickly into cruelty when that power is challenged and that dichotomy that that power the power nature the nature of the power in that relationship is shifted reminded me of kind of like early Joan and Peggy mm-hmm. as, as, as well, right? The way in which Joan can oscillate between cruelty and kindness and, like, the whole time thinks she's helping, right? Um, it reminded me a little bit of that. So it was, like, yes, disappointing to see that from Peggy, but it was also kind of interesting, too, with, like, with, through the lens of Peggy trying different things on, mm-hmm. right? And, like, her own journey of you know, self-discovery and identity that, that she's been on. And I don't know, maybe Don's flirting with, maybe he's not, probably not. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, it makes perfect sense. Cause if she hasn't exactly had like a ton of role models of a woman who had any sway or power in an office space other than Joan. So it kind of stands to reason that she would in some ways emulate that. And it kind of does speak to a certain kind of white feminism where like I recognize how much I had to suffer and I had to work and other women have to in my position, but also not necessarily turning that have turning on that empathy and trying to create a space for someone else to make that, Mm -hmm. um, to make the same kind of move because Allison seems really good at her job. She's very capable. She pays attention. And, you know, she may not be creative, but in other circumstances, she could have probably possibly have found a way up the ladder as well. Not unlike Peggy. So it's it's weird the the way she's like still separating herself from the secretarial pool. It's a different level. Mm -hmm. She's not Mm -hmm. like one of those girls. So. Uh, for all the good good that came out of Peggy this week, um, some bad too, as with most things in life. Yeah, yeah, because and it's just like I just don't. I I guess it's just that I don't understand what Peggy's like goal here was, because 
Like, maybe she thought Allison was just, like, going to get over it. And, like, no one was going to find out that she was, like, straight up lying when she came out and was like, oh, yeah, everything's fine. She's fine. Um, and, like, there's... Uh, she keeps the group from going up to Don's office because she knows that's where Allison is. And it's like, oh, okay, well, at least there's like, there's that one nice thing she did for Allison. And it's like, I know she didn't actually do this for Allison, but it is nice that Allison isn't going to have to deal with all these people while she's still crying. So, yeah. Yeah. I mean, objectively, it does make her very interesting. <laughs> I'd like to point that out again. Um, but yeah, it it's it makes her hard harder to be a person that you just blanket root for this whole time because she's still making these mistakes and these errors. Yeah, it's like I want all of our little friends to be growing. <laughs> yeah. She's not exactly like for all the good that she has done and all the growth she has made, she's still not exactly someone who really stops and investigates her feelings and reactions. So it's not like a huge surprise. Yeah, totally. Unlike Allison, who is very self-aware about like what she needs out of this evolving situation. Um, because ultimately she's great. She- goes up to Don and she's like, I'm out. So good at it. Like, and he's like, no, I think, I don't think that's necessary. And she's like, yeah, I didn't actually ask you. <laughs> yes. And she has a real good sense of, of when she's being disrespected, which I appreciate. And maybe someone might think she was being overly dramatic, but I think she's acting perfectly rational, rationally in a situation where people are completely being condescending to her. People being Don mainly I really I really enjoy her being like I don't say this easily but you are not a good person so yeah. good yeah it's so really good. great because it's like she obviously thought that he was mm-hmm. a decent person like not all of us only sleep with decent people but I believe that of <laughs> Allison <laughs> yeah and I uh, I think it also calls Don out a bit because he can easily convince himself, as we have seen many times in the past, that he's the hero, he's the savior, he's the the good guy, or at least someone who's just misunderstood. Yeah, it's it's like there's like this um, perception of like you know the the talented artist that has layers, and like Don's very. Um, cognitive of crafting this mystique around him and that even like goes back to like the lesson he learns early in the episode where he doesn't really talk about himself because he thinks it creates the mystique and the ad magazine reporter like tears him a new one then he gets to like then he turns it on and performs for the the wall street journal interview whereas like at the christmas party or before joey the freelance artist who we've seen working with like peggy a lot is like clearly through that episode like flirting with and and hitting on on Allison and it's it's like again arguably not good don't bug her at work and like whatever but like he's so like one-dimensional on purpose and Don is as one well ultimately isn't as complicated as Don thinks he is or like wants others to perceive himself to be and so it's like it's so easy for people to fall into Don's destructive aura and get pulled into that, right? And I think even, like, that was probably why Betty liked him at first, right? Um, yeah. 
yeah it's yeah. it's nice to see somebody um like obviously allison's going through it and this is an emotional experience for her but she is like not really letting don get away with this behavior and i love that for her like um i mentioned on one of our other episodes from this season after this that like their relationship their professional relationship is like like was being held together and i we hypothesized that that was all allison's emotional labor a hundred percent that she was the one you know making sure that this could still work and i love that we see like even before we get into the meat of the episode i love that we see allison be snarky with dawn like you know when you have just decided that you don't fuck with somebody anymore and now everything they do is annoying (laughs) like um they're at the meeting and he's like why is this empty and she's like because you drank all of it (laughs) (laughs) like i just i love that for allison and then obviously like her emotional state deteriorates throughout the episode um but she holds her own and she goes and gets a job in a magazine working for a woman we love to see it (laughs) because as we have seen people who aren't who are like reasonably well adjusted and have a sense of self don't last super long in this office. So go somewhere else where it, yeah, it, it's just it's... nice to know that in the world of Mad Men, there are people in like positions where you would call them the boss that are not white males. Like that exists somewhere outside of these, the walls of this office. <laughs> oh boy. Yeah. I mean, Allison, I assume we don't see any Allison. more of her, but we can't, we can't keep her around. She'll re- reveal too much about the dysfunction of everyone there. Yeah. I, you know, I loved her while she was here. I I was surprised that she asked Don about the photo um, from California. Because I'm like, this is more personal than Don would ever be in the office. But I do understand, like, why those lines are confused for Allison now. Because she's like... We are not, we don't have a professional relationship anymore because we had sex together. So, we're like, was that like Don, um, like insinuating that he wants to be closer to her? So, she's like, maybe if I ask him questions about himself, like, that's like, that's something he wants, or like, I don't know if she was like, like, maybe subconsciously like testing the waters, like, if, if if he responds to this in like not an asshole way maybe you know there is hope for like this here that um he didn't just put me back in the like inconsequential secretary like don't look them in the eye column (laughs) but um unfortunately (laughs) no yeah yeah bits and bobs bits and bobs bits and bobs bits and bobs bits what else bobs bobs um (laughs) i just wanted to point out one of my favorite moments which was um a fun joke of was it uh roger on the phone um because they were talking about how they they were doing um cigarettes and how Mm -hmm. uh like horse riders or horse racing was still a sport where they could advertise with smoking and roger going lee 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 the jockey smokes cigarettes because you can imagine the other half of that conversation and it, it gave me a good laugh also um in the 
the oh my god i forgot the word what's the word with the with the people talking about a thing um the focus group focus group thank you my goodness i forgot that word which we didn't talk about but that was a really interesting moment but uh ellen may from justified was dotty and uh that's a show i'm i've already mentioned before but you know rewatching it and she is uh, a significant character in there and like the moment her voice cracks when she's crying just like reminded me of who she was I'm like ha so um that was fun um also honestly sometimes I'm just getting tired of talking about this but there was like the barest mention of Malcolm X's death and mm-hmm. yes 100% this is just how some people experience the entire civil rights movement in the 60s but like you you guys already know what I'm gonna say about it you already know just why why include it why include it even if we're just gonna treat it like a cursory accessory thing to be like hey we totally know what time period it is yeah I felt that way about some just casual racism between Pete and Harry Crane in this episode where they're making jokes about whether or not Puerto Rican women need to wear bras. And I'm like, oh, good. Let's just use just racism as a prop to show us how sexist the 60s were. And it's like, you actually don't have to try that hard to show us either of these things during this time period. And like, let's not use... Let's not use racism just as, like, some sprinkles in, like, a look how sexist it was. Isn't it so bad? Like, like you said, like, yes, we 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 get it, Mad Men. You're yeah, you're in the 60s. (laughs) Yeah. No, I like your use of the word prop. That's 100 percent how they usually use it. It's set decoration. It means absolutely nothing. It holds absolutely no weight. And you can make the argument, and I I know we've had people who have done that before whenever we bring it up, you know, that, oh, it's that's how some people experienced it. It's it's completely natural and and normal to well, not normal, natural, but that's exactly how some people lived it. And it's accurate. But at the same time, it's all your what's the point? Because all you're doing is bringing it up potentially re-traumatizing some people and never addressing anything like we don't need a very special episode of racism uh but why why you know why genuinely why sit here and tell me why it's so important to include it and just leave it there and nothing and not it's just exhausting so I mean I said I wasn't gonna say it and you all knew what I was gonna say but we're gonna say it (laughs) we're gonna say it <laughs> it's I, not gonna I stop think our happening. very special episode on racism was in season three. Um but <laughs> uh yeah, I like I think the point that like Mad Men uses the civil rights movement and you know, racism as as sec as period set decorating is a hundred percent correct. And I think it's something that the show never really grapples well and i think even later on um the show as it goes longer that was a contemporary criticism of the show even back like 20 back 10 years ago and i don't know if the show ever improves on it even as it's trying and i'm i'm curious for when we get there to explore the idea of like tokenization as it tries to wrestle with its record on race Mm -hmm. Um, 
I think specific to this instance, it's trying to do a character beat with Peggy Mm -hmm. because she comments on it after she goes to, you know, hang out with the white leftists at the, I guess they're all not white, but like the largely white leftist loft party um, where she meets Abe and, you know, all of that. And like, I think, and when Joey's like, do you ever read the ads between the paper and that thing? Like it's like the show is somewhat indicting Peggy for her ignorance. And like, it's supposed to be like, Oh, now she, you know, (laughs) in a very white sort of, sort of way. It's like, Oh, this is actually a problem. I'm going to, you know, implement change through like my own myopic sense of self-actualization, which is bad. Um, so I, I think that's the point the episode's trying to do. And like, in a vacuum okay cool fine whatever mitigating success but again with the idea of the whole like civil rights movement being set dressing or in season three using a blackface performance to show other characters like distaste at it when like the only like black person in this episode was the janitor mm-hmm. who doesn't even have a name or a line reading. And those are like most of our, like, you know, with the exception of Sheila, who is, was Kinsey's girlfriend in earlier seasons. And then Carla, of course, who, who has had a larger role a bit last season, like they're bit players. Right. Mm-hmm. So again, I, 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 I understand what this episode specifically is trying to do with that reference. But when you put it in the context of the body of, of work of Mad Men, it like, it flops mm-hmm. yeah. for me. Yeah. It's just, it's, tr- it's, it's such a half-assed attempt. And if you're going to, if you're going to, um, if you're going to indict Peggy for her uh, sort of almost willful ignorance of what's going on and try to redeem her for it, why not, why not hold the white audience account, uh, like accountable for that too? Like, why even bring it up unless you're actually going to do something real with it? Because so much of this show is so well-crafted and specific and particular that why is this the thing that you guys dropped the ball on? You know? It's, 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 it's just something. It's something. (laughs) Now I've made myself upset. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> and we will I mean, to continue to yeah. have these conversations as we finish the show. Yes. Um it's moments like that it makes me feel like maybe I was I'm as a woman of color, I'm not part of the intended audience and I'm just like bonus kind of pull along, but I still will continue watching the show because yes, I am being pulled along as bonus. <laughs> because it does have so much else going for it. And frankly, I'm used to it by now. I'm 36. I'm used to it. Um, also special shout out to Jared Harris just for being him. (laughs) Thanks for existing. No complaints about you, sir. So far. This episode, Lane Innocent. (laughs) Yeah. You know what it is? It's because he doesn't talk that much. (laughs) Yeah. He's just trying to do his job. He is. Uh, He's not particularly uh, mercenary or... Or 
uh, terrible to women or people of color or even his male white coworkers. He's just he's just here. He's just happy to be here and happy to do his job. What else do you need? And he's charming. <laughs> he is. He's just it's this really like lovely, warm charisma to him. And part of it is he's just happy to be here and things are working out, guys. Hmm. Anyone got anything else? Mad Men. Mad Men. Mad Men. I will say my last thing is that um, in one of the previous episodes of this season, one of my bits and bobs was that like Roger ceases to be a character. He's just a person on screen saying like the shittiest lines. Uh, But it (laughs) seems like it's not it seems like it's not just going to be Roger. It's going to be a rotating character being the worst because in this episode it's Freddy. Like everything he says just sucks and like he's bitching about not having an office and it's like well you mistook yours for the bathroom which you know whatever um and talking about like oh yeah the women they just want to get married and they'll just buy anything to do it and I just am like can somebody please for the love of God investigate why the women see themselves this way and if you the advertising company have anything to do with any of this at all like or are we just going to just recycle this path over and over and over again like i'm sure that that's definitely the women's only ambition um just pure from their own souls and it definitely has nothing to do with how you all in this office specifically and as a society treat them Mm mm-hmm Women seeing themselves, but through a male lens. Gosh, we didn't even talk about the psychologist, did we? And how fragile Dawn is. Um, Well, I mean, just... Yeah, all you really need to say, Dawn is super fragile. (laughs) Unsurprisingly, about something, everything. About the idea that a a person can change or be better. We get it. You're defensive, Dawn. We get it. Um, no, you just reminded me of something that I was talking to another nurse about um, and different uh, myths in healthcare that you get. Like, as a male nurse, he often hears like, oh, are you doing this before you go to medical school and become a doctor? Uh, and he even like specifically said, I imagine male nurses get this more than female nurses. I was like, yep, I've been asked on multiple times not just by patients and their family, but also my own family. Uh, hey, are you going to marry a doctor? And every time I have to tell them, no, because I've met doctors. No. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah. And before any doctors listening to this get offended, I said that also to my own father, who was a doctor, and he just laughed because he knows I'm right. Um, <laughs> yeah. But yes, there's... Not some things have not changed since the sixties in this idea that women just want to get married. I actually knew a nurse who was very bright and could have been very good at at her job, but she became a nurse specifically because her father told her to become a nurse so she could marry a doctor. She's like late twenties now, so um, if anyone wanted to have hope that we've progressed a long way, we we haven't. Well. <laughs> Hi, I'm here to be your wet blanket for the <laughs> evening, everyone. <laughs> no, um, I, I mean, swear, I enjoy this show in this this episode. 
I like still knew girls in college that would joke that they were there to get an MRS degree. Mm. And like, that's not a funny joke. Like you could have not spent tens of thousands of dollars just to marry somebody. Yeah. And why do you have to keep making that joke too? Yeah, like, I honestly don't care what your, like, personal aspirations are. <laughs> but, like, don't be annoying. <laughs> <laughs> we can't be friends now. Um, yeah. So, Mad Men, modern day documentary. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. at least if it is uh, a modern day documentary, at least there's really cool parties going on. And great outfits. And great outfits. They're and probably jo- really uncomfortable. And Joyce. Yeah. And Joyce is just in the world doing Joyce things. We need more Joyce in the world. I bet you would be a better place. <laughs> Any last thoughts, Matt? Nope. I am good. Until next time, where can folks find more of you on the internet, Melissa? You can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Mel Yellow or co-hosting the Wild Pretty Things podcast. Annie, what about you? Uh, you can find me on my other lovely pod, uh, The Daily Nightly, with Jesse, where we just talk about as many things Jane Austen as possible. We've actually just finished reading Mansfield Park, so that's been a very exciting, complicated, confusing time. Matt? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at, at MattyU, M-A-T-T-Y-H-U-G-H. You can also catch me with our other friend of the pod, Elise, talking about Star Trek Deep Space Nine on Pod Wraiths. Hi, Elise. I hope this episode really brought you joy with all our people. (laughs) (laughs) Till next time, guys. Yeah. Bye. Later days. Spoiler alert, whether we leave this in or not. You think that like we could have worked on the transitions between the the lost episode and this one.